Hey, welcome to an edition of MGO Radio that is not live because we had some technical difficulties. You can complain to the manager. No, wait, don't do that. That's me. Welcome to a special not live version of MGO Radio. Seth has made a series of mistakes in life and is in Piscataway, New Jersey as we speak. So we had some issues actually getting the old uh, OBS up and running, so we're going to give you the taped version. But Alex is here. How you doing, Alex? Ah, pretty good. I made it through a week of Rutgers film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, at this point, if... If you're not already dead, nothing can kill you. You are invincible. No no football film can possibly harm you now after this season. Yeah, well, the uh, the film I used for the offense, that was the Minnesota tape because it's the only start that their quarterback for this week was starting in, in a Big Ten game, so I had to use it, and yet it was nowhere to be found in the avenues we typically use to cut yeah. up the game footage. I went to all the normal sites. I even looked at the Russian sites. And even the Russians decided we should not be allowed to watch Minnesota and Rutgers. Uh, that's the first sensible decision a Russian has made since February 24th. <laughs> but enough about that. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights, 25.5 uh, spread in Michigan's favor. Gavin Wimsett is the aforementioned quarterback, a redshirt freshman, uh, but more functionally a true freshman. Yep. Because he... He had the earliest enrollment of all early enrollments. He played three high school games as a senior, and then he enrolled at Rutgers, no doubt enraging his high school coach <laughs> to the ends of the earth. Uh, but so he had a redshirt year last year. They got him in four games, and now he's a redshirt freshman, but he's more like a true freshman, and he looks completely unprepared for Big Ten play. Yeah, he just turned 19, I think, last week. Um, when he joined Rutgers, he was 17 years old. So this is, uh, I think in the summer or a preseason podcast, I said they smuggled him on campus. And that's pretty much what they did last year. Now it's they got another year under his belt, but still not there yet. Um, he hasn't been used a ton this year. They've been rotating between three quarterbacks. And they gave Evan Simon a try. They know what they have in Noah Vedral, which is not good enough. And so they're... Going with the future now. And the problem is the future is still probably a little ways away right now. Yeah, one interesting thing I noticed in your FIFA film is that he didn't throw a screen against Minnesota. Yep. And for anyone who's seen Rutgers football since Gary Nova graduated, that is that is a statement. And that's why they wanted Wimsett, because he has an arm. And Vedral, last year in the charting, I think, threw... About eight screens, about seven more passes that didn't go beyond eight yards past the line of scrimmage, and he threw one beyond that in our charting. Right. And now Wimsett, it's a totally different situation. He throws down the field, and I think, honestly, probably more than the coaches would like at this point. He was throwing it a double coverage a little bit. And he's got a good arm, and there's no accuracy arm strength issues in that regard, but there is accuracy down the field, right? And so you've got this uh, kind of Joe Milton problem. Uh, from time to time on the right. deep shots right now. And so 
you look at the footage, he's about as likely to hit the target as he is to put it in the stands. And that's something that's going to need to be reined in over time. I mean, he was a top 300 recruit, so the talent's there, but uh, playing before you would like him to play. And he has a decent amount of mobility, but he also got absolutely lit up on a baseball slide. I, <laughs> I saw he got completely cranked by Minnesota, left the game. It's cleared to play this week. But if I had to guess, Rutgers is not going to be running him at all in this game because it's a 25-point spread. He's your quarterback of the future. It's like, just get him out of the game healthy, right? Well, and that was the only designed run they, they called for him in that game. It was a designed oh, quarterback draw, and he, and he gets, you know, five, six yards, and then the linebacker comes in, and then just boom. And so, I mean, it's, it's, he has the ability to, to, to move around a little bit, but I think it's less of the offense than it is with Vedral in part because they had to make it with Vedral because right, he couldn't yeah. do anything else. Um, there, there was one play, and this one kind of encapsulates where Wimsett's at right now. I mean, there's, he's scrambling on third and five. He's, he's running to the sideline, probably going to go out of bounds, and then he sees a guy kind of open and does this like weird underhand lateral and just throws the ball. And thankfully it goes forward, and so it's an incomplete pass. But it's one of those plays where if you're a coach, you're sitting there like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not doing that. And right. so you're going to get those kinds of freshman mistakes with him, especially because he can't extend plays. Uh, the rest of the Rutgers offense, uh, Isaiah Pacheco's graduated. And he was on the Chiefs, I saw him in a game I mean, earlier this season. Player, and then Bo Melton, also gone. Also gone. So you have, if, for Michigan fans who have seen Rutgers over the years, they have Aaron Crookshank back, <laughs> Wisconsin transfer, sort of a slot type guy, not that exciting. And then their lead running back is out for the year, and the two backups you despise. I mean, they're they're just they're just there, right? And that's why this injury is so tough for them. Samuel Brown, the fifth, is his name. I respect a guy who's the fifth. Like <laughs> that is that is a commitment. So I actually in in middle school there was a kid who gave a presentation on Henry the fifth of England, uh-huh. and so we were thirteen years old at the time, and he gave the speech pronouncing it Henry V. <laughs> the whole time, and apparently just didn't know that's what the the V stood for. Uh, but <laughs> the whole time I kept writing Samuel Brown and I put the V in there. And I just kept thinking Samuel Brown V. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he's a, a pretty, uh, I think he's a true freshman, pretty good recruit, especially for Rutgers. Um, I'm pretty optimistic about him and, and their future with Wimsett if they can get Wimsett going. Problem is now he's injured and you look at, at him, he was the only guy posting respectable yards per carry numbers in Big Ten play. Mm-hmm. Kyle Manungai, not doing it. Uh, Al Shadi Salam or Shadi Al Salam, I think that's his name. Yeah. Anyway, that guy, same story. They just got Aaron Young back from injury, but he's more of a receiving back. And those guys are—they're not getting any yards. The offensive line isn't creating for them, and unfortunately, the offensive line isn't creating any yards for them in conference play. Right. So if you look at their yards per carry in conference play, it is three, 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 three. Yeah. Three point eight, <laughs> and then like two point three. It's very consistent. Um, not a whole lot of long runs. Nope. Their drill down line stats on football outsiders are all pretty horrific. Um, an offensive line that's four transfers and then their tackle who's not a transfer is the one guy you sign. So like not an Indiana level disaster factory here, but probably not anything that's going to stand up to, to what Michigan's going to bring on the defensive line. No, and they, they changed up the offensive line completely. The five starters who started against Michigan last year are all gone. 
one of them to injury, one to graduation, and three to the portal. So they bring in all these new guys from such prestigious places as Sacred Heart and Louisiana Monroe. Hey, that guy was, they a, was yeah. That guy was an FCS All-American, so that's a step up. <laughs> and he was not one of their their worst, uh, I thought. So So Indiana had a guy who was like an honorable mention all-conference guy in D2. Yeah. So that, <laughs> there's a whole different world of like up transfer here. It still doesn't bode well for Rutgers, but yeah. Don't expect seven sacks, probably. Yeah, and um, uh, Holland Pierce, the one guy, he was their sixth man last year. He's their right tackle. I mean, these guys, okay, they can create a couple yards, and then that's it. And <laughs> So this adds up to an offense that is one of the very worst in the country. Yeah, so they're worse in SP Plus than Iowa, which is pretty hard to do. Shocking. Um, the other numbers don't indicate that that's the case, but regardless, they are very, very bad. And you look at this offense, I mean, they – Sean Ryan, a wide receiver from West Virginia, he's not terrible. Um, Johnny Langan, who people with the bizarre ability to remember Rutgers from last season, which I think is just me and, and Brymac, but um, he was their Wildcat quarterback last year. He's still their Wildcat quarterback. He's still their Wildcat, but he's now their every-down tight end. When he's not the Wildcat, he's the every-down tight end, blocking, receiving, the whole thing. He still has— Well, probably not a whole lot of receiving— he is their leading targeted receiver. I know, but like, <laughs> even so. Yeah, uh, but he does have two pass attempts, so they're still doing that a little bit. Um, he has some rushing attempts, so they're they're still doing the Taysom Hill thing. But he's also a receiver. It's it's just a mess. I mean, they they can't really run the ball. Um, the quarterback he was six for seventeen, I think, for forty some yes. yards against Minnesota. I mean, this is where they're at. They don't they don't have the pieces yet, and so this is an offense that is just not producing anything against even decent uh, defenses. I mean, this feels like it's a 50-50 shot at a non-garbage time shutout. Yeah. I mean, they got shut out by Minnesota, so it it's, would not be surprising. Other side of the ball, superficially looks pretty good. If you go look at their line stats on Football Outsiders, they're ninth in line yards. They're very, very good in every other stat except, I think, uh, power success rate. And then you look at the offenses they've played. They've played Ohio State. That's a good offense. And they haven't played anyone else in the top 50 of SP+. Yeah. Uh, this is – and their first four games in particular. I mean, they're non-conference. Woof. Boston College, 113th. They just lost to UConn last week, yes. by the way. So point for Michigan there. Uh, Wagner, FCS team. Temple, 128th in offense. And then Iowa. So they did not play an offense with a pulse in the month of September. Then they play Ohio State, and then since then, Nebraska, Minnesota, you know, okay, and then Indiana, no. So this is just a, a team that you look at who are the good offenses in the Big Ten, Purdue, Maryland, when Talia's healthy and, and Penn State, and they didn't play any of them. So this is the only game I could really do for this was the Ohio State team, which you, I never want to choose them because it's a buzzsaw and it's not really, uh, you know, the, the, right. the most comparable – Overall, but it, it was the only option. That kind of gets into what what's been going on with them. And so when they go up against Ohio State, I didn't think they did horrible against Ohio State, given it's Ohio State and what yeah. they can do to you. But there were some major things there that make me think this team is not prepared to handle Michigan's bread and butter. Right. So their defensive line is very light. Yeah. Uh, former Michigan recruit Aaron Lewis is their starting defensive end. Yeah. And uh, and he's been okay. Yeah, he's 250. The other end's 250. They have a 270-pound defensive tackle, and they have one guy with some real size at 290. So 
and you in your FFFF posted a bunch of clips from the Minnesota game where it's just like, what happens when someone runs duo at them? Yeah. Which Michigan has been doing insanely large amounts of lately, and it's just like, well, they get crushed off the ball. Well, in Minnesota, their offense has some problems, but they're not the worst comp ever for Michigan because what's the one thing they have? Really strong offensive linemen. Yeah, (laughs) gigantic (laughs) offensive linemen who can just hammer you. And so we got to see what a huge, beefy offensive line can do against these guys, and the answer is they can move them consistently for four or five yards of carry. I mean, they didn't get a ton of the big explosive plays where the blockers are reaching a second level, but in terms of those third and ones, no shot for Rutgers, no chance. And that led to Minnesota piecing together these just army-like drive, 19 plays, 99 yards that lasted 10 minutes and 27 seconds, and another one, 13 plays, 86 yards, 7 minutes, 3 seconds. So... The recipe here looks like it's pretty similar to what the recipe's been for a lot of teams. Yeah. And then we don't really have a good idea of what their secondary is like because, as mentioned, they haven't really played a quarterback, period, except for C.J. Stroud. Except for the one. (laughs) And then C.J. Stroud is just watching his team rush for 250 yards. So he has 25 attempts. He completes 15 of them. His, His stat line from that game is almost exactly... J.J. McCarthy's stat line from the Michigan State game. So, I don't. maybe there's something there. You picked out a number of instances of good coverage from their cornerbacks against real tough customers, and they didn't get completely blown out of the water by a Ohio State offense that is basically blowing everybody out of the water. So, I think maybe their pass defense has some reality to it. Yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, I... Max Melton, we put the star on. The obligatory mention, of course, he missed the Michigan game last year with a paintball gun incident. <laughs> um, which is a bummer for them because he, I think, is their best corner. And Avery Young, their their safety, is, is pretty solid. I mean, I, I watched them. I thought, okay, you know, they, they can cover these Ohio State guys a little bit. Um, but the problem was they, they just were getting hammered in the front seven. And even if you're covering Ohio State well, right, you're still – limiting damage and yeah. so there's plenty of clips of them getting carved up by marvin harrison jr etc but that's going to happen so i don't know it's to me this team everyone wants it's clamoring to open up the passing game and let jj get a high volume game in. and this team just looks like very very discount penn state okay. right where it's like we're just going to avoid the corners and just but penn state was a threat to win that game correct and rutgers is into it yes so I think like you're like, all right, let's score a couple touchdowns with Quorum, and yeah. then we're up 14 points. Yeah, I, I think at that point, then, then you can then you can like try to like open up the accelerator there and and see what you got in the in the passing game. Now you're never going to be 70 30 or anything, but yeah. if you could get to 50 50 and be more aggressive with your your pass calling, I think that's something that's useful because not only is Michigan going to go up against. Ohio State at the end of the year, but Illinois is suddenly one of the best defenses in the country playing nothing but, like, cover one man-to-man. So some sort of what happens if we uh, really need to throw the ball, I think, is something you might want to explore in this game. Now, will they? Probably not, because he's (laughs) Jim Harbaugh, and he's going to be like, "We we could just run it up their throats again, down their throats, both ways. So... Yeah, and on that note, I would just like to say that I would like Blake Corum to spend a lot of time on the bench in this game. 
get the lead and then give him a nice week off. Yeah, he's got a. He's got I mean, a... we haven't seen Stokes since the fumble, really. I mean, he closed out the MSU game, yeah. but like this is a game where if you get up early with this blocking, like you know, whoever yeah. whoever the Kurt Taylor is can probably get four yards per carry. Wow. Um, right, like the, if if Michigan is just ragdolling the tackles, which seems like a likely possibility, and Honigford and and Ryan Hayes are sitting on the ends, like yeah, you don't need Blake Corum to to run up the score on this team, probably. Uh, one last note: you're going to see some great punting. Yeah, Adam Corsack, who uh, lost his incredible streak of not putting a single ball in the end zone, he's put two in the end zone this year. But he's all he's punted like forty five times or something, or thirty. No, forty five is the Iowa punter. <laughs> he's punted more than thirty times, and opponents have a total of three returns for negative eight yards. So he's really cranking them. But they don't have Valentino Ambrosio anymore, right? No, he transferred. Oh. So they they brought in a, a literal Irish guy, <laughs> like he's from Derry. He's from Northern <laughs> Ireland. So. Yeah, uh, one note on, on Rutgers special teams. If you do a fake punt up a lot on this team, <laughs> <laughs> get ready for Fight Club. Let's not have that again. No more Fight Clubs. Let's not have a fake punt on them up a lot because let's uh, let's have one week where it, it's just chilled out. You got a score for us? Um, Let's go with 41-7. to 41-7. to seven. I think I had uh, – 37 to 6. So, there we go. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and uh, talk to Mike Beam. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley. Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we 
recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248 248- Six eight two seven four four five, or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com.
I've never seen no one that smiles the way I do you, do you ever think about me? It's a little crazy, Brian. Yeah, but but uh, it's been a good year. Uh, we have you know eight year terms, and so yeah. there's a lot of stuff uh, over the past eight years that you know we so can you, explain to people. So you've come to the end of your first term as a regent. Correct. So eight year period, you've had a lot of. <laughs> it's been an eventful eight years. Yeah. Some people say, "How long's your term?" And I said, "Well." I've referred to it as a sentence, uh, you know, for a, for a few of the years, but uh, but it's I feel like we're finally making some great uh, you know way through some of the issues that we've had to deal with in the last three years. So, new president, can you tell me about the process by which you arrived at the Santa Ono? Sure. It was um, it started suddenly, uh, and so we um, we planned on having an 18 month window, uh, to go through the process. We hired, uh, you know, the group that we used, right. uh, they were, they were great through the whole process, but then basically in January, uh, due to the circumstances, uh, we then asked them, can we do this in six months versus 18 months? And they said, yeah, but you're going to need to clear your calendar pretty much. And yeah. so uh, we did that. We started with a whole you know, list of people, so to speak, uh, that they provide uh, and then started uh, narrowing it down, uh, did a ton of Zoom interviews. And uh, funny story with, with President Ono, the first interview we had, typical Zoom interview where there's shelves behind the person and I noticed a maroon football helmet over his left shoulder uh, in a bookshelf uh -huh. and he went to undergrad at University of Chicago and I said is that a University of Chicago football helmet and he said it is you know that's nice that you noticed that and you know any of us would have noticed the same thing and uh, I said that's great and he said yep uh, UFC still has more uh, league championships than Michigan State, <laughs> and so on his own he said that, and so he uh, so he's, he got uh, some positive points for that. Yeah. So, other, but on non on a non superficial level, like what was it about Ono that made him stand out? Like I know that 
at UBC, he kind of came into a similar situation where right. there was a lot of discontent, malfeasance at the higher levels of the university and kind of was able to like stabilize things. He was. And so a couple of things, not that you'd want to solve for past problems, but it was obvious that he had dealt with issues like that before, just like you mentioned when he came in there. Um, UBC, while we in the States don't know a lot about it, it's a massive research university, you know, out in Vancouver. So a lot of similar uh, issues that we deal with here just due to the size of the university he was dealing with there. Uh, but he is, so with regard to the the trust issue and needing to rebuild trust due to the fact of what had happened in those three years. You know, it started with the provost, uh, then it was Anderson, then it was COVID, then it was, you know, President Schlissel at the end. You know, the person who's supposed to be leading uh, this whole effort is then violating uh, the tenets of everything that we're trying to do. So he, you could see that he is a great communicator. Um, he's also talented in listening to people and you know one of the trust is a two-way street and i think in rebuilding trust with students faculty staff everyone affiliated with the university you're going to need to be a good listener and and he is and he's truly interested in hearing what people have to say he was he was up at u of m flint today yeah um uh, i mean three weeks on the job and he's already headed to U of M Flint, U of M Dearborn. And so he is very Is that something that previous presidents didn't really do very much? It is. Uh, the, uh, we started having um, off-campus or meetings. Uh, our main meetings at U of M Dearborn, our October meeting is at U of M Flint. Um, but there are a lot of people associated with the Ann Arbor campus um, that are only focused on the Ann Arbor campus. Right. And when Flint and Dearborn are very important to the, the mission of the university. Well, so Ann Arbor campus has instituted the global guarantee. So if your family income is at the state median or below free tuition, um, <clears throat> Has that, have you seen an uptick in people taking advantage of that since it was instituted? Yes. Um, the, the, the in-state student body, which is undergrad, is about 55% of the students. 19% of the in-state students are recipients of the Go Blue Guarantee. Okay. And so that, almost one in five. And this was a, a policy that was, you know, de facto already in place. And then the global guarantee is sort of like a outreach technique to like say like you know right you can actually do this. So has has that? Do you have numbers from before the guarantee? Is that gone up or it has gone up significantly or? Um, I think about five percent okay. that it's gone up. And like you said, instead of uh, you know buying the new set of tires and then sending in the rebate and you know filling out all the right. forms and all of that it it was much more streamlined and then two years later so the go blue guarantee has been in effect for five years now um, and then it's now uh, the last this will be the third year that it's at u of m flint and u of m dearborn so 
kind of the other half of the affordability question for Michigan is you can come to Ann Arbor and you can have free tuition. And especially over the past few years, it's become extremely expensive to try to find anywhere to live. Yep. So is there any push from the regents to build more housing, maybe on North Campus, that kind of stuff? Because we've seen like Northwood, like it's just yeah. some scattered houses really. It sort of looks like someone threw jacks uh, down on a, right. on a floor as to, and they sort of look like that. So one. there's the occasional dorm that goes up, but with the amount of new students that keep, because enrollment keeps going up. And so you have the private market that's fulfilling some of those needs, but was the what is the university's role in all that? We're actually working on it right now, um, and, and there's a quick time frame with it because um, you'd want it, uh, if you were to build a new dormitory, you'd, uh, the deadline obviously is kids need to move in, you know, the students right. need to move in. And so we are looking at that right now as we speak, and it'll be about 4,500 uh, new beds. Really? And so... And those are all, all dorm style, or are they... Yep, all okay. dorm style. And what we'd like to see happen is that anyone who wants to live in a dorm will be able to live in a dorm, and that we don't turn anyone away. And anyone that wants to live on central campus their freshman year would be able to live on uh, central campus their freshman year. And then we want to completely reconfigure uh, North Campus so it's uh, much more user-friendly and it will bring in uh, the Plymouth Road aspect uh, of North Campus because so much of North Campus is oriented or faced away from Plymouth Road. Right, it's fuller. Right. Yeah. So that sounds like a, a long-term project, it's more like on the decade time span for the North Campus part at least. For the North Campus part. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so the 4,500 beds that are on Central Campus, would those go in the old Fingerly area or pretty much? Yes. And when you look around, uh, there's only so many places that things can... I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> as you know, you know, it's where things can fit. And then, so, you know, it doesn't... Anyone can look at it and, and figure out what needs to come out and what needs to, you know, I don't think... I don't think Markley's uh, lifespan is, is is long uh, with regard to, that, to the, Central You're campus. the second region who has declared war on Mary Markley. <laughs> yeah, so I don't mean to upset any alums uh, who are, <laughs> you know, uh, who love Mary Markley, but it just, uh, it, and it's also, it's in a spot where it is, it practically touches uh, the hospital, yeah. you know, there at Von Voigtlander. So it uh, it will be associated with the hospital. So, other than the things that we've talked about, what do you think you have, if you have another eight-year term, what are the biggest challenges facing the university? Well, I think like what we mentioned with regard to rebuilding trust, you know, first and foremost, other things with regard to the value proposition, um, like you mentioned, housing is very expensive. While, you know, Money Magazine ranked us the number one value in the country, uh, and really that's a return on your investment. Um, when you look at some of the other schools, you know, an in-state student tuition here is $16,000 a year. Our similar schools, if you want to say, you know, Northwestern tuition, $62,000 a year. Right. 
So it's a great return on the investment, but there are other cost factors. Um, we, I find it unbelievable how expensive food is as a student. Um, when my wife and I were newlyweds, we were both just out of law school, and our student loans were twice the amount what our home mortgage was. And so living here, you know, if you go and look around and people say, well, there's great food in Ann Arbor. There is, but it's very expensive. Um, when I was in school, there was a Taco Bell, uh, <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. not, that may not have been the, the, the greatest food to eat. Of but cuisine. yeah, you know, there was a 99 cent burrito uh, and there isn't anymore. You well, know. is that something within the, I mean, university's purview to do much about for off-campus students? Well, I actually spoke with um, an individual who's an alum who owns uh, almost 100 Taco Bells. And so I uh, <laughs> spoke to him. This uh, sounds like a personal crusade. Well, I, you know, it's just that cost, yeah. you know, of, of food. You know, you can not to say anything negative about any other places, but a sandwich and a bowl of soup should not cost, you know, fourteen ninety nine. Sure. Uh, and so if you're out of the dorms and looking for inexpensive food, and that's another thing. You mentioned figgly lumber. Um, I've, it, well, I've talked with all the people on the board. Uh, we want to build a grocery store there. Okay, Wow. And and not it's not going to be university owned, but we're in talks uh, with a couple of different chains right now to bring uh, some parking and a grocery store there that's close to campus. Wow, that that actually is uh, so. There have been a lot. There's been a lot of talk about a downtown grocery store, and it's not quite downtown, but it's it's fairly close, and that actually um, I think would benefit a lot of people that's great it, it really would i think so you know and just and just to find something it, you know we all know what it's like to how expensive takeout can be right. and things along those lines so just to cut those costs and then one thing we're working on with regard to grad more, more grad students and employees is daycare um, oh, yeah. that daycare is unbelievably expensive and the labor force has shrunk now Due to COVID, it's extremely hard to get a spot. I can tell you this from experience. Yep. Um, so I do have to ask about NAL, or the listeners sure. to my podcast will murder me. So <laughs> Rocky Start reputed every. All this is so inside baseball that everybody's like, "Well, Michigan's not recruiting well. It must be NIL." Um, but I mean, Hunter Dickinson returns. That's a, that's a big thing. Um, and Acker was talking about how Jared Wangler has really been burn the candle at both ends to get something set up for Michigan so that they're not falling behind here. What's your perspective on where Michigan is with NIL and where it needs to go? I think there's still, you know, a little feeling that it's the wild West, but that's not an excuse uh, to move forward. Uh, and I'm fully in support of having a strong NIL program. Um, when we were going through the hiring process, uh, Jordan, uh, you know, Regent Acker and I, uh, feel the same way about this. That was a question that we asked uh, every uh, person who was interested in the job. Uh, some did not, you know, truly did not know what NIL was. Um, right. And there were others, uh, and President Ono being one, who was well-read on the subject, very interested, and wants to lead in the area. All right. Well, Mike B., thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Brian. Go Blue. 
Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender.
right, so one last look back at the Michigan State game that does not involve uh, that. So lesson of doing the offensive UFR was that Michigan State just played the whole game in the parking lot. So two deep safeties almost all the time that occasionally rotate one guy down, but the linebackers were not firing off on the line of scrimmage. Whenever McCarthy dropped back, if he wanted something underneath, he usually had three different guys. It was the whole game plan was to bleed Michigan down the field and see if they could do something in the red zone. And on one level, it worked. Now, the only stop they got before the worst punt of all time, uh, second worst punt of all time, <laughs> um, was when Cornelius Johnson fumbled on the Michigan State 42 yep. or something, what was going to be like second and three. So at no point did this offense really even try to stop Michigan, this defense even try to stop Michigan until they were essentially goal to go. And it wasn't until halfway through the third quarter that Michigan faced a third down outside of a goal to go situation that was less, that was more than four yards. So that's, that's how that game went. Um, Do you think that was a a bad strategy from MSU? I mean, I don't know. Because it's been kind of mystifying to me that teams are, are playing the safeties in the parking lot when you're playing Jim Harbaugh. It is. You're, you're asking him to do his favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, like, let's say, I mean, it was 7-3, to three, like, at the end of the first quarter, right? Yep. Let's say Michigan comes down, and they stall in the red zone again, and it's 7-6, and then it's 9-6, and you're at halftime. Yep. And you are probably not going to be doing better defensively if you get more aggressive. You are going to be exposing yourself to more long plays, and you're going to be increasing the number of possessions in a game, which you as an underdog don't want to do. On the other hand, once you get down 16-7, where it's a two-score game, it's the third quarter, it's like halfway through the third quarter, you don't have that luxury anymore, right? You're down two scores. If you keep doing this, you're going to get the ball back twice, and you're not going to do anything with it. And at that point, I think you got to fire it up. And Iowa did. Yep. If you remember the mid-third quarter, they really started to get much more aggressive against Michigan. And Michigan kind of stalled out. But I don't think Michigan State had a second pitch. This is, I think that's all they can do because they're a very bad defense. Now, there were a couple guys who I thought did uh, – notably well against a couple guys on Michigan State who are players. So Slade is an NFL player. And Trevor Keegan uh, had a couple of rough moments. He got ragdolled a couple of times. But he and Olu and Hayes were pretty consistently putting him two yards in the backfield. Their other defensive tackles are very good, too. I mean, they had those goal line stops. Their run defense, I think, now that we look at it and we've seen what their strategy is, it's not really because the guys up front can't play. So if the guys up front are getting moved by Michigan consistently, I think that really says something. And the uh, positive to negative blocking ratio in this game was 3 to 1, 75%, which is huge. Um, and it's also like the final like pro football focus <laughs> reputation because their, their view of the run blocking in this game is Michigan got a 64 and Michigan State got a 62. And I don't. I just don't know 
how you can. That's where you get your press credential revoked. Even even if <laughs> you're out with Yoder and then that one, if you if you post that, like even if you know Blake Corum is the second second coming of Barry Sanders, right? Like he's getting downfield without getting touched three or four yards on most of these plays. So whatever they're doing doesn't make sense to me. I respect a lot of their other grading. I think that you can learn a lot from the pressure stats and stuff that they keep. I think that they're still a useful site. It's just that their offensive line grading doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to pay attention to it anymore. But I thought Zinter had a great game. I thought uh, Hayes didn't have a single negative for me. Uh, And Carson Barnhart, no pass protection minuses, had some issues in the run game, still came out pretty positive. I think he's at least serviceable. And I think you can probably go into next year with him as one of your tackles and feel pretty good about that. Like if Hayes goes to the NFL, which uh, I have no idea. I haven't seen him on lists yet, but he might be a mid-round guy. And you're faced with having him as your left tackle. I I think you might be able to do that. I think that might work. How do we feel, because this came up in the FFFF diagram, but right now we have Olu with the star. How do we feel about star watch for any of the other linemen at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you can make a case for all four of them that aren't Barnhart. <laughs> like, the consistency with which Michigan is grinding people off the ball, the consistency with which they execute their assignments, like, the number of plays in which someone has an oopsie is so low. It is unbelievable. I think Hayes has got to be there at this point. Um, he was like plus 12 and a half in this game with no negatives. Like, uh, And for Keegan, like uh, there are a couple moments that Keegan's like, I don't know if he deserves a star, but if you, when you add up all the points, it's like, like, this guy had a game, and I think that this is the best set of defensive tackles in the league outside of Ohio State, and they comprehensively whooped those guys. So I give you my blessing <laughs> for four stars on the offensive line. Because, um, I mean, look at how many pass protection breakdowns they have in this game. There, It was like, I think they graded out at 87%. They pick up stunts. They pick up blitzes. They, they're super smart. They run... 700 different run plays. Um, there's there was a really interesting one that they ran in the red zone, which was basically an ISO play where they pulled a tackle as the lead blocker. So you pull a tackle, and usually what happens is that everybody who's opposite the pulling tackle is blocking down, and you're trying to go on the outside. This one, they kicked out the defensive end and went right up the middle, and that was Barnhart. So that's a long way to go, and then to be able to be agile enough to change direction, get vertical, and make good contact on a linebacker. I mean, that's that's hard stuff. So he might not be the biggest guy, but he is very agile. And, uh, you know, I think he's he's a solid player. And for him to have, for Michigan to have him as the number six offensive lineman is a pretty big luxury. How do we feel about the red zone? Uh, I mean, I don't think you should be running arc stuff with – J.J. McCarthy in the red zone because the safety's right there. And I think they'll have to go back to the drawing board and and figure out what they want to do. But to me, just give it to Corum. And then if you need a plan B, then have a plan B. But what Michigan did in this game when they scored touchdowns is they gave it to Corum five times. And they scored three touchdowns. And then there was the first 
the 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 first and goal from the four on the first drive where Keegan gets slanted under and Quorum has a decision to make and makes the wrong decision. And then they get buried in the backfield for a three-yard loss. And I guess that's going to happen sometimes. But if Blake Quorum's the best back in the country, and I think he is, I think you just got to put it in his hands, especially when you've got this kind of offensive line with this much push. So I think they can solve their problems by getting stupid and just be like, what would Ben Mason do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, JJ, what's... Well, I mean, he's not quite as scary accurate as he was early in the season. This is kind of the second game where he had a couple of balls that were off, what you're like, ah. Um, but his decision-making was very good, especially when it came time to scramble, which is a new thing. Um, and when Michigan had opportunities to single up Widman against tight ends or, or Donovan Edwards, he knew where to go with the ball. And I think uh, he had a couple of deep shots at Bell, which were very close to being complete. He gets those, and it looks like a completely different game statistically. And uh, people look at the passing stats, but they, they're not adding like 50 yards and scrambles into that, right? So it kind of feels like, his performance in this game is a little underrated by the stats and we keep seeing him add new things to his game. He's still very good at making post snap reads. And the really strange thing is that except for the red zone, they really didn't run any zone read stuff with him. And that's the place where it makes the least sense really. So some, some game planning hiccups, but not too bad. Are you on team JJ run go away for the next few weeks before um, Columbus. Uh, well, I think the Illinois game is going to be a real game. Yeah, so I, th- gotta... I think that one you can bring it out for, but I don't personally want to see him <laughs> subjected to any contact against Rutgers or Nebraska. Well, I mean, I think a couple of times just to make sure that you've got that sort of same sort of rhythm that you you've developed, um, and just from a play calling perspective as well, like being able to sprinkle it in at effective times. And I don't, you know, I don't want him running 15 times in a game or even necessarily what was it six or seven, like he did against Penn state. But I, I think you still want to leave it in there just because um, for one, it helps your offense a lot and you get more experience calling what needs to be called. If you're actually running what you want to run against Ohio state. So I, I'm not quite there, I guess. Uh, Seth isn't here. Seth did the defense. I don't think there's really that much to say. Um, Chris Jenkins had an outstanding game, graded out. Plus 12. More Mozzie Smith, plus 11 and a half. And Mike get, Morris, plus 14. And given given the number of snaps yep. that were in this game, I mean, that's an incredible performance. And again, Pro Football Focus. <laughs> 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 like, like, what are we doing here? Hey, Mike Morris, plus 14 against one of the best offensive lines in the Big Ten <laughs> Conference. Um, and then they were so dominant that I don't think that there was a whole lot of grading for the linebackers. No, there wasn't. Yeah. They came up plus 17, minus 8 on 93 snaps. Right. So that's like, you know, they get the easy job of cleaning up after the defensive line ab- absolutely decimates them. And then... Uh, I know that Seth had Rod Moore grading out really well. Yep, plus eleven, minus zero on forty-nine snaps, and that's a huge number for a safety. Yep, like most safeties, like if they're doing well, their their score at the end of the game is like two. 
because no one throws at the safety who's doing well. But, of course, he had the pick in this game, and he had a couple other opportunities to go over the top because other than Keon Coleman, Michigan State didn't really have anything. And this is back to the records thing, but there should be opportunities for Moore to get a pick again this weekend with Wimsett's decision-making and yeah. going overthrows. <laughs> like the... I went I went with Makari Page because he's so rangy. Sure. Like he's got he's got the, that kind of size. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and talk some hockey. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Why are you working so hard? Ending. Yay! It's 
Ascended to number one in the USCHA poll, CHO poll, which seems uh, generous, but oh. I mean, someone has to be number one, and when you're seven and one, it's either that or two and zero Harvard. Yeah, they're number one in the pairwise, though. Mm. Maybe we should just not play games until December and then be number one by beating Lindenwood two zero. Maybe. Uh, so, you know, the impressions that you guys have from the first. Seven, eight games. Um, let's first start with Brandon Narado. Like, he's the new coach. He's m- younger than me. I say all of us, but that's not true. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he came in as an overager, so we might actually be the same age. Uh, in any case, a guy who brings a much more modern approach than, than Mel Pearson. And there's been a lot of mistakes because it's a very young team. But I don't know if there's anything that you guys are seeing that you think is different because it's a different approach coaching-wise. Um, uh, not necessarily. It, it just because, you know, Mel's teams often could get off to a little bit of bumpy starts here and there from time to time. And um, I, I don't know how different this would be with, with Mel coaching. I think that what Narada will need to work with these guys on is, is defensive zone play and cleaning up the exits and, and – turnovers, things like that in their own zone. They need to slow the pace down a little bit at times and figure out how to close teams out. That was an issue against Western, obviously, over the weekend. So there are some things to work on. But uh, in terms of a, of a fast, fun offensive team and, and some of the skills that Narado builds into this roster, I I think it's uh, looking looking pretty good so far. Well, and the, the power play, too. Yeah. I mean, the power play is yeah. off, too. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> you've said for a long time a lot of that depends on who you're icing, right? And Michigan is icing some guys that can put the puck in the net. Yeah. Well, on an individual level, obviously, Adam Fantilli is off to an absurd start. <laughs> it's um, pretty ridiculous. And and the thing is, like, he has some flash to his game. Like, he, he'll uh, 
dangle some guys. But, you know, Kent Johnson as a freshman, it felt like every shift out there, he was trying to score the most spectacular goal in the history of hockey. And with Fantilli, I mean, he's so big, he's so physical that the dangle stuff is an occasional part of his game. And I think that it makes it even more effective. Yeah, a lot of the flash, I think, has been gone from, or at least from him. I mean, you get a little from Mackey at time to time. But like the last year or two, there were a lot of players that had an absurd amount of talent and were really either highly rated, highly draft picked, something like that. And you could see it sort of in the way that they played. And especially when they played together, it looked a bit like an all-star team at times. Yeah. And that's not really what we're seeing this year that, that I can see. Like I said, maybe on the power player when you get all those guys on. But there's a lot of sort of more blue-collar approach to just playing the game. Like you said, Fantilli is going to want to hit you as much as he's going to want to, like, spin you in a circle. Well, and he has the kind of speed that you don't see from guys that often. That, like that size. size. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was that kind of partial breakaway goal. Uh, I forget who it was against. It was last weekend against where he came out of his own zone yeah. and he just, like, won the race. And, I mean, I was not expecting – I was expecting one or two different guys to be able to catch up to Fantilli. And just – he just took a couple of strides and then nobody got to him. And no. So, and he could finish. And I think the consensus now is that he's past Matej Michkov as the guy who's the odds-on favorite to go number two. I think that oh. might have happened regardless because of the some of the Russian concerns there. But, yeah, on a talent basis, I think so. I mean, what Fantilli is doing – We'll see how the season goes, but certainly when when I was looking at the numbers in the preseason about his his pace and the comparables from his USHL production, it was these gaudy numbers from Connor and and Eichel and Thomas Vanek back in the day, guys like that. And right now he's on pace for that, he, you know, to right. to continue in that path. Eighteen points in eight games, and the thing with him too, you know, he's fast and big, but he's also really strong for a guy that's only a month past his eighteenth birthday playing college hockey. That that breakaway against Western, not just as he outraced the guys, but then he shields the puck with his back and, and uses all the muscle that he has. I mean, he's a horse. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, Nick Moldenhauer just committed to Michigan, third-round pick, uh, who's currently the top-line center for the Chicago Steel. Um, and they asked him about it. Like, oh, we got this Steel connection, and he's like, yeah, I want to be in a line with those guys next year. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you and me both, well, buddy. <laughs> they, I mean, that's what Mackie said, right? I mean, someone yeah. asked him about it. I think it was Connor asked him about it, and yeah. and he was like, yeah, that would be fun or something like that. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, okay, but I I text I texted you, or it's yeah. like uh, I'm pretty sure two of these guys are not going to be here next and, year. And Moldenauer is is a big pickup for Nerado. That's his first major yeah. recruiting win. He did flip a guy the other day from UMass, but he looks like a like a fourth line type guy. I mean, Moldenauer was a third round pick, but I th you know I think he could have gone late first, early second, depending on I what would have happened. Real so strange yeah. draft year. He had an illness that got him to to lose a bunch of weight he was way below his playing weight and then when he finally returned to the ushl he had a one of those horrifying situations where he got sliced uh with a skate and you know blood pouring out on the ice and i mean it was a really rough season but the talent is there and i thought you know it, it was a steal for for toronto when he fell to the third round and now we're seeing why because he's leading the ushl in points so far this season right but uh back to the actual 
team and him. As we tend to get ahead of ourselves at MGO. So Duke and Samuskevich have been Fantilli's running mates the whole season. I don't see that changing. I think that those two guys just really fit with Fantilli's skill set because Samuskevich has that absolute hammer of a wrister, and Duke just gets in all the spots that you want a garbage guy to, to get into. And, and I feel like there's been a lot of line blending on two through four, but yeah. as far as one goes, that seems set. Well, missing Nazar is like, you know, probably the second center, right? And yeah. so when you don't have that and you lose all of your centers from last year anyway, then there is going to be a lot of tryouts. I mean, Estapos, I think, was playing 2C or 2 or 3C now. I mean, it's I don't even know. You can't even really tell. But so when when you lose all of that, you're going to have people that you're going to be throwing in and out and, okay, can this guy take face offs? Does this guy know how to play defensively from this position? You know, in the zone, does he get back? Is he responsible? Those kinds of things. And so – you know, that's the one constant, like you said, is that top line, right? I mean, and they've been producing, and Michigan's need them to because we kind of thought their defense might be able to carry them because they're returning a lot of guys, and people should know what they're doing. And I'm not going to say that they don't know what they're doing, but it's been inconsistent, especially in certain games against probably better teams. And, you know, so they – The Western Series. Well, I mean, they had some trouble against BU on sun, the Sunday game, and it wasn't looking great through the first period before, you know, all the penalties came on the Friday game and yeah. that, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, they've needed this top line to more or less do what they're doing, and they're more than carrying them at this point. And the other guy that we should talk about is, is TJ Hughes. Now, a lot of his goals are kind of right place, right time, but that's Duke in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. And he's and they, he's gotten on to the top power play unit and has finished. I think he scored. Did he score on Saturday? I believe we talked about that. Ah, uh, he might have. So he has like five goals, and you know it's a little probably high shooting percentage well, luck. He's, but he's also a guy who you look at and you're like, okay, I can see why he scored like sixty goals in the AJHL. Sometimes guys come up from those leagues, and you're like, what? <laughs> what is this league like? Philip LaPointe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there you go. And this is like the contrast, right? It's yeah. like Philip well, LaPointe. And, and he was from the BC, which is a better league than the AJ in general. Yeah, but he was playing on Ken Johnson's, Johnson's line. line. Yeah. Yeah. So TJ Hughes drove his lines play, I think we can say. I mean, he's got enough sauce that like, you can see his hands are high quality. He's got the ability to puck handle through people from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like he was not a passenger on a line that had a bunch of guys scoring a bunch of goals. So yeah, I, you never exactly know what you're going to get from overagers who just crush leagues like that. Uh, but it looks like Hughes is a guy who is tracking towards being a scoring line player for his career. Like I, I, I know that they're shooting percentage concerns and stuff, sure. but like I, he looks like a player to me. Yeah, it was also nice to see Rutger come online yeah. last week against Western and, and, you know, have a hat trick start to come into his own because that's a guy you'd like to see be able to, to start powering a line, you know, yeah. below Fantilli in, in this, you know, Samuskevich line. Yeah, and the other guy that I think that has taken a little bit of, of – or has grown a little bit even just in his first few games is Hallam because, you know, it was a lot of speed and space and, like, what's he going to do, but – you know, the, the most impressive things I've seen him do are the things where he goes backwards, where he recovers the puck in the neutral zone, doesn't like where he's going, skates back around, uses his speed, gets back into the defensive zone, turns, his, keeps his head up, and finds a pass. And it's like, I mean, 
if you're if you're a freshman or a third line player, fourth line player, and you're doing that consistently, like you're not trying to force it. You're not trying to say, "Hey, I'm the fastest guy in the world. I'll just outskate everybody and go do something crazy." Because, you know, you start leveling up, and that doesn't happen anymore. And the best things that he's done are those kinds of plays. And then his hustle goal against Western last weekend, where the shot is deflected, and it's a nice bounce for him, but he's got to out skate a guy to get there, does, gets there, and then beats the goalie to the post. And the goalie was frozen because of the shot deflection and all that. But, you know, those are nice effort level things that aren't just skating. Right. And and for a guy like him, a lot of his game is going to be like, I can get to places other guys can't get. Yeah. And faster. Because <laughs> that, that, like, he's up there with Cogliano and, like, uh, Hagelin in terms of guys who just fly around the ice in yeah. Michigan. Like, he's elite as a skater. Yeah, I mean, just as a, for the team as a whole, their top ten scorers right now, six of them are freshmen, and the uh, three of the other four are sophomores. I mean, that so was this is a this is a young young team, and so you know, seeing some of these these you know kinks defensively makes some sense, but you know, already seeing guys start to to poke their heads through at this point, I think bodes well for when they get more acclimated, because this is a team you'd expect to get better as the season goes along due to the youth. Yeah, I mean, Michigan's had some hiccups, but they've been able to power through them. And, and banking wins at this stage is big. Right, and especially, like, you look at non-conference. I mean, they have a huge series yeah. in a couple weeks against Harvard that, you know, you at least want to split there, if not a little bit more. But, I mean, you look at their pairwise now, and they got the win over everybody, more or less. I mean, that's why they're so high is because they, you know, they hold the, they hold the Western – uh, comparison, yeah. they hold the BU comparison, which means, you know, that's going to have a trickle-down effect. So if they do similarly against Harvard, obviously those aren't, it's not going to help you win the Big Ten, but when you look at the seeding, that's a big deal. Alright, by the time you guys hear this, the Penn State game will probably be over. but Maybe, but there's also one tomorrow. There's also one tomorrow. <laughs> during the football during game. During the football game. But. So good luck with that. You gotta go, like Craig and I do, and get four TVs. Yep. Alright, thanks Dave for sitting in. No one's ever seen her, she lives all alone She makes Aruska, she makes a vodka, makes it in her home She makes Aruska, Ruska. vodka, vodka makes, makes it all night long She makes Aruska, Ruska. vodka, vodka singing this crazy song Surveyor, 